That's right. Better believe it, son of Cheryl, that's who I am. So, hey, good morning, Life Point. How are we doing? Did you have a Merry Christmas? Hallelujah. Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, I, first off, I just want to say thank you for coming to church today. This Sunday is historically the lowest attended Sunday out of the year. So give yourself a round of applause. You guys deserve, we should have given you guys like a badge, right? Like I showed up the church after Christmas. I mean, that's literally why I'm here anyways. That's why they put me on this Sunday, right? Not other Sundays. Hey, David, you, you preached this one. So. Anyways, not bitter, not bitter. Okay. Hey, um, guys, we're glad that you are with us. It's a privilege again just to be able to share God's word with you. Uh, today we are wrapping up our uh, Wonder of Christmas series and so I'm the type of person that keeps the Christmas tree around till February. So I thought, let's just talk about Christmas one more time, okay? So we are in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. So if you're in your Bibles, flip over to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. We also have it in the bulletin and on the big screen. So let's just read this together, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll dig in to the Word of God. So Isaiah Chapter 9, verse 1, I'm reading it out of the ESV. Here we go. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for another time uh, where we can gather together as a church family. Lord God, where we can worship you, where we can cry out to you, where we can petition you, um, where we can do life together with the saints, God. And Lord Jesus, I pray as we um, study your word today, God, as I speak your word, may you, Lord, just speak through me. 
that the words that come out of my mouth, God, that would be of you, that would pierce our hearts, that would shape us to be more and more like Jesus Christ, and the words that aren't from you, God, that we could simply just dismiss, but that, God, you would shape us today to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so be with us, Lord Jesus, and in your son's name we pray, amen. So a few years ago, uh, I went on a hike with my dad to do a 14er in uh, Colorado. And I know my dad's always talking about for, you know, hiking 14ers. And so he, he invited me to come along. I was like, sure. And so we got up really early in the morning and uh, we're driving through to get to the trailhead. And even though I was kind of, it was scary, right? Because I was like, man, this is really high. This is going to be a tough hike. We could even barely get to the trailhead because like there's so many potholes. We finally get there. And then you just see kind of the journey ahead of yourself. It's like, man, we got a trek in front of ourselves. And I felt the pressure because I was like, I can't let the old man like show me up on the trail, right? Like I got to keep a good enough distance in front of him just to keep him in place, you know? And so we go on this hike and we're, we're, dad's doing a pretty good job. He's actually passing these college students who probably partied too hard the night before. I was like, oh dad, good job. And so, you know, we hiked up uh, high. We had to take a lot of breaks. Um, it was hard, but after three hours, we finally reached the summit and it's cold, it's windy, it's uncomfortable, but I don't care because we are at the top and you see the Rocky Mountains go on for miles and miles. And I'm just thinking, man, I just, I just can't wait just to kind of be on top of this for a good half hour, hour and just soak it all in. I take a picture with my dad and my dad says, all right, let's go. What? <laughs> yes, let's go. It's cold. I want to go home. No, what do you mean? No, like we can't just spend five minutes on top of the mountain. No, we're going. I'm like, fine, grumpy pants. Jeez, go God, right? All right, punk. So we go down the mountain and go home, right? But I, I love telling that story because I think it's, it's, it's really a, a metaphor, so to speak, for just kind of how we live our lives, we often don't slow down enough and stop and just take in the wonder, take in the awe, take in the majesty. You know, this series that we've entitled is called The Wonder of Christmas, and wonder just means awe. It means to be able to marvel at something, to be dumbfounded by, to be stopped in your tracks and be blown away at the sight that is in front of you. And we experience wonder in, in many different ways. We experience on top of the mountains, experience it when you're at Yosemite, seeing the waterfalls come down. You experience it through the arts, um, Star Wars, man, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, when the opening line in a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, all right? You get the chills, right? I mean, maybe, okay, just me, all right. But uh, you, you feel the wonder. I remember when my bride, my beautiful bride, Sarah, walked down the aisle and all I could look at was her eyes and just how beautiful she was. It was breathtaking. You know, we experience wonder and, and church with Christmas, man, Christmas brings that much wonder and, and so much more. And oftentimes we're busy and we're hustling and I know Christmas is, we're, we're past Christmas and we don't really just simply take time to sit, to stop and reflect on the wonder that is Christmas. And so for these next few minutes, for this, our time together, I just simply like for us to reflect, to slow down and kind of consider why Christmas is so wonderful. 
let's just sit back and enjoy the wonder, all right? So number one, why I think Christmas is so wonderful is the surprise that Christmas brings. The surprise of Christmas, the unexpected that comes from Christmas. In this passage of Isaiah 9, this is probably one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament predicting the coming birth of Jesus Christ. This was written by Isaiah, a prophet for Israel, uh, 600 years or so before the birth of Jesus. And he's writing it to a people, the Israelites, who have experienced judgment. They disobeyed God, they were foolish, they were arrogant, they were prideful, like God, our ways are better than your ways. And so God, out of grace, uh, judged them, judged them for their disobedience. And they experienced the oppression and the war and the, and the slavery of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire came in and sacked them. I mean, imagine if ISIS or one of our enemies came in and, and just sacked us, just the mood of the country we would, we would be in. That's the mood that we find the Israelites in. And yet Isaiah says, all is not lost. There is hope. And hope is coming from the most unlikely place, Galilee. You see, the surprise of Christmas is that the Savior comes from Galilee. First one we see comes from Galilee. Now, what's Galilee? What, what's, what's Galilee all about? Well, Galilee is a lot like Oklahoma, okay? What good could come from there, right? Right? Can I get an amen? Hallelujah? Okay, sorry if I'm offending you, but come on. This is the promised land, right? Texas. But uh, no, seriously. But um, Galilee is a place that was like, are you kidding? God's not going to go to Galilee, Right, Galilee's reputation, people from Galilee were known as stupid, as unpolished, as rebellious. They had these accents that were kind of hickish, that were looked down upon. If you really wanted to make someone feel small, you would call them a Galilean. And so in short, this is not a place that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would show up to. But the surprise of Christmas is that God shows up in the most unexpected places. That God is not born into royalty, but he's born into poverty. Not in a cute manger scene, but in, in a manger with filthy animals that smells disgusting. He's not born with uh, royalty, he's born with shepherds. He's not born to some celebrity mom. He's born to a teenage, pregnant, unwed girl. The Savior, Christmas, is about the surprise, about how God shows up in the places that we would least expect it. Guys, that's the heartbeat of God. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. But the heartbeat of God is in the places that no one else goes. You know, many of us, we travel and we go on vacations to Cancun, go on uh, to New York, to California, to Florida, to Europe. We go to all these places. And people come back and, and they say, you know, I had a great time. I had a good time. We did this, we did that. But it's interesting. When I talk to someone who goes to Haiti and then they come back, you know what they say? They say, I experience God. You know, that's the heartbeat of God. The surprise of Christmas is that he shows up in the places no one else wants to go. 
It's not at Stonebriar, it's not at the malls, it's not at the fancy hotels, it's not at the fancy restaurants. If you wanna experience that surprise, if you wanna experience that wonder, it's found in the nursing homes in our city where we abandon our elderly. It's found at Meadows where you mentor a kid coming from a broken home without a dad. It's found in hanging out with orphans in Haiti all week. Do you guys see the surprise? Do you see the wonder? Jesus says it himself, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God is always using the lower things in this world to confuddle the wise. The surprise of Christmas is that God shows up in the places we would least expect. Are you starting to smell the wonder? Are you starting to see it? So that's number one. The surprise of Christmas. Number two, why Christmas is so wonderful. It's the light of Christmas. It's the light of Christmas. The light of Christmas brings wonder. Isaiah paints this pretty gloomy picture that is happening to the Israelites. Look at verse two. He immediately starts off, he says, the people who've walked in darkness, they've seen a great light and those who've dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. The Israelites were in darkness and circle that word in verse two, deep darkness. That word deep darkness is a little unique. It really means like the shadow of death. So the Israelites before Christ, before Jesus enters the picture, they are living in just darkness. They are living under the shadow of death. It's this cloud of death, of darkness that hangs over them. You know, in the Bible, uh, light is always kind of associated with life and darkness is usually associated with death. And those who are in darkness, uh, death is going to come. You know, I, I read an interesting article. Um, I love these pop science articles that talk about these like what if scenarios. I read this article that talked about what if the sun went out. And so scientists uh, said this, they said, if the sun goes out, if the sun just immediately disappeared, temperatures would drop um, to zero degrees within a week. And then within a year, the average temperature would be 100 degrees below zero. Photosynthesis would stop immediately. Most plants would die in a week or so. And uh, the best place for us to live would probably be in a submarine well below deep into the sea. And you guys get the picture. Without the sun, there's really no life. Without light, there's no life. And in darkness, death looms. And what Isaiah is trying to tell us, what God is trying to tell us is guys, without Jesus, we are in that shadow of death. That the shadow of death hangs over us all. I mean, just look around, look at the news. There's wars, there's terrorism, political corruption. Look in our backyard. All right, Collin County, I know it's really glittery. It's really nice. It's clean. It's new. But if you just kind of look beyond the surface, you'll see the shadow of darkness. I mean, we got parents who worship their kids. It's like the pastor, Jesus, and then there's their kid, right? And we kind of wonder why our kids are so self-absorbed. Um, we see broken families. I mean, we live in the Bible Belt. This is like mega church after mega church after mega church, and yet our divorce rates are the same as the rest of the part of the country. We love stuff. We love tons of stuff. We might even worship stuff. Within a square mile of Stonebriar, 
is 5 million square feet of shopping, of just shopping. Now, there's nothing wrong with shopping, okay, but doesn't that maybe represent something that something's a little off? That we're just kind of walking around blind, running into walls, that we're just kind of living this kind of numb life? Church, we're in darkness. But the good news is this. The wonderful thing about Christmas is that a light has come forth. A light has come from the darkness. A light has broken in and it brings vision and it brings clarity and it brings warmth and it brings light. And it shows us not just how things are, but it shows us what things could be. And it gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to know that we can see things for how we are, that God has brought this life not to break things, but to restore things, to grow things, to build things. The wonderful thing about Christmas is that we don't have to live in the dark anymore. But who brings that light? Who brings that light? See, the wonderful thing about Christmas is number three is, is the person of Christmas. It's the person of Christmas. It's Jesus Christ. It's amazing that this passage was written 600 years ago, and the description of who the Savior is describing fits Jesus perfectly. Isaiah says someone is going to bring the light. In Isaiah 9, 6, he says he will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. This is how he operates. All right, let's spend a little time just going through these names. First off, the person of Christmas is Jesus, and he is called the Wonderful Counselor. He's our Counselor. All right, to be a counselor is simply someone to bring truth, to bring wisdom, to help us to kind of navigate the obstacles of life, right? So remember when you're a kid and you're like upstairs and you're kind of messing around, fighting with your brothers and your, your dad's like sitting on the couch of the lazy boy and he does not want to get up. So he yells, right? He's like, don't make me come up there, right? And you're like, you don't pay attention because he's not up there. So you keep messing around, keep breaking stuff. Don't make me come up there. You keep messing around, breaking stuff. And then finally, dad walks up the stairs, right? <laughs> and you're kind of scared to death because you know that you're going to get a whooping, all right? But, uh, but that's, you know, dad has to go up the stairs in order to restore the order, in order to make things right, to show us how to live. And that's what Christmas is. It's God coming down the stairs, and showing us, giving us wisdom on how to navigate life. You know, it's interesting. I think, um, I think uh, most of our problems are probably because we're not really letting Jesus be our counselor, right? I mean, most of our problems, I mean, Jesus, we're not letting Jesus teach us. We're not letting his wisdom impact us. So for example, like our marriages, man, we have marriages that are struggling here. But what does Jesus say? He says, husbands, well, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And how has Christ loved the church? He died for it. He put our needs above his own. He said, you're my priority. He sacrificed for us. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And guys, if we, husbands, if we just applied that in our marriages, guys, if we just applied that in our relationships, would our, could our marriages and relationships, could it be better? Absolutely. Jesus is our counselor. 
Some of us, we live like in fear. Like we're just afraid of the tornadoes. We're afraid of the wars. We're afraid of the securities. But what does Paul say? He says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Should death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, sword, famine, nothing can separate us from the love of God for those in Christ Jesus. Right? Some of us, you know, we're struggling with forgiveness. We are just having a hard time forgiving the people who have hurt us. But what does Jesus show us? He's hanging on the cross, naked, and he's being mocked, and he's being ridiculed. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He teaches us forgiveness. He teaches us how to let go of our past. The adulterous woman comes and what does Jesus say? He says, your sins are forgiven and go and sin no more. You guys see how Jesus is our counselor? The wonder of Christmas is God entering into humanity to show us how to live. And then secondly, we see that Jesus is our hero, what I like to call our hero. Um, Isaiah calls it mighty God. That word mighty in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is gabor. And that just literally means a warrior, a champion, a hero, someone who fights our battles, someone who wins our wars. And as you look at verse four, Isaiah kind of describes this kind of battle scene that has been playing out. Let me read this to you again. It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to mold and every garment rolled in the blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah is recalling this old, famous Old Testament battle where the Israelites were outnumbered, so to speak. And they're like, we don't have a chance. And God sell, tells the Israelite army, hey guys, you go home. And he takes a few and he stands a few in front of the, the impending doom that is in front of them. And God says, you just watch as I wipe out your enemies. And he takes care of their, the enemies just like that. And the point that Isaiah is trying to make is that our God is a mighty God that he fights the battles that we can't fight and he wins the wars that we cannot win. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is not about us fighting, uh, fighting right? But is rather God fighting for us and God delivering salvation for us on our behalf. And all we have to do is simply stand and receive it. You know, the beauty, um, uh, <coughs> excuse me, one of my friends um, in seminary, took this advanced counseling class. And I always like to know little tricks of the trade, you know, to be a better pastor, so to speak. And uh, so I was like, hey, Shell, that's my buddy's name. Hey, Shell, tell me, tell me what you're learning in advanced counseling. It's like, oh, you know, you just gotta listen to people, yada, yada, yada. But the buzzword they're using is, is uh, power, powerlessness, powerlessness. It's like, just use that and, and you'll be fine in your counseling. It's like, oh, okay. I won't listen to people. I'll just use this. I'll try it out. No, but so, you know, when people come to me and they start talking about their problems, they start venting. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to use this word. So I'm like, hmm, it just, it just seems like your powerlessness. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's exactly how I feel. Thank you, Pastor David. Right. And people just, it, when we vent, we hate it because the problems that we're having 
we can't control them. There's no button we can press to fix it. There's no magic solution we can do to repair it. Most of the problems that we struggle with that are circumstantial are things beyond our control where we are powerlessness. But I wanna tell you something, church, that's exactly where God wants you to be. That's exactly where God wants you to be. To get to this place where you realize that you can do absolutely nothing but cry out to the Lord. And when you cry out to the Lord, there's a reason we call him a mighty God because he will fight your battles and he will win your wars. And I know there's some of you in here um, who your marriages are on the brink. We got a lot of connection cards the last few weeks about people are talking about um, ready to file for divorce. And maybe this new year, you're gonna put it in the papers because it's gonna be a new year, it's a new you, and you are just done because everything you've tried and every formula you've worked and every church service you've gone to, you're trying to do it all, you're trying to fix it, and there's nothing that you can do to fix the problem, so you're done. And I want you to know, that's exactly where God wants you to be. Quit trying to fight the fights that you can't win. Let God fight him. Let God change your heart. Let God change your spouse's heart. Give your problems to God. Cry out to God because we have a mighty God who is our hero and who fights our battles and wins our wars. You see the wonder? See the wonder? Jesus is coming. He's counseling us. He's fighting our battles. And then thirdly, Isaiah calls him the everlasting father. The everlasting father. Now, when I first saw this, I was a little like kind of uh, confused because I was like, why on earth would they call Jesus the father? Like, isn't he the son of God? And, the, you know, that's, he's not the first person in the Trinity, but really he's not saying that he's like the first person in the Trinity or the father. He's just, it's a characteristic describing the nature of Jesus. You see, in typical religions, it's about, hey, here are these five steps and go up this, these stairs or go up this ladder to get to God. But Christmas is about God coming to you and not coming to you as cold and distant, but coming to you as near, as intimate, relating to you as a father would his child. He's our everlasting father. Our students, we've been going through the gospel of Mark and the first half of Mark is literally miracle after miracle after miracle. And we're like, all right, Jesus, we get it. You do miracles. But what's fascinating is the details within those miracles, is seeing how Jesus just kind of meets different needs as he's doing his miracles. So like one miracle, a person will come up and say, hey, can you heal my daughter? And Jesus is like, yeah, I healed your daughter. Just go home, you'll find her just fine, right? And he's happy. He's like, sweet. But then another person he comes to, he sees a blind person. And Jesus could have snapped his fingers and said, hey, you're healed, but what does he do? He puts his hands on his eyes. And he says, open your eyes so that you can see. And then he goes to a deaf person. He could have snapped his fingers, but then he puts his fingers in his ears and gives him hearing. And what's so beautiful about Jesus is not only does he love us, but he loves us in a way that makes us feel the most loved. It's like he knows our love languages and he presses those right keys. That's why they call Jesus the everlasting father. He loves us all equally, but he loves us uniquely in the ways that we would feel the most loved. 
And then lastly, what we see, Jesus is our everlasting father. He's our counselor. He's our hero. Lastly, he's our prince of peace. And this is one of my favorite terms in all of scripture, that word peace. That word peace is not just this feeling that you get sitting by the fire. That word peace is, it's holistic peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. And shalom means holistic prosperity. So it's prosperity, spiritual prosperity, where you're connected with God. It's inner prosperity, where you're secure with yourself. It's physical prosperity, where your health is good. Um, It's relational prosperity. It's economic prosperity. See guys, the, the beauty and wonder about Christmas is that we have a savior who came to earth not to pull us out of earth, but to redeem this land that we live in. He didn't come to take us out of the neighborhood. Jesus came to the neighborhood to restore the neighborhood, to fix the neighborhood, to mend the neighborhood, to bring peace, to bring shalom to the places that we live. And a lot of times we view ministry as simply just the spiritual, right? And that's awesome. We have Bible studies, we worship, we sing songs, and we focus on our relationship with God, and we focus on our relationship kind of with ourselves and with others. But I think a a point that sometimes we often miss is the shalom of the community, is this Prince of Peace, is the shalom that Jesus brings to our neighborhoods and to our cities. Um, One of my hearts and one of my passions is going into under-resourced, underdeveloped, kind of um, impoverished neighborhoods and bringing shalom there. And when I was in Bellflower for eight years, we were in a lower income neighborhood and that's what we tried to do. We tried to help people see a life greater than themselves, try to get them jobs and teach them life skills. And I was reading this book um, by this guy I really like. His name's Bob Lupton, and he worked in the inner city in South Atlanta. He's done it for over 40 years, and he wrote this book called Detox Charity. And his whole passion is about moving the poverty needle, right? I mean, we're about homelessness here, right? So if you want to outrun homelessness, you need to get people homes. And if you want to get people homes, well, then they need to get jobs, right, in order to support this lifestyle. And so Bob Lupton was starting to say, is like, hey, the best way to move the poverty needle is actually to bring jobs to the inner city. And I want to read to you what he says. Because when I read this, I got excited about the potential that we have here in LifePoint. This is what Lupton says. He says, I begin to publicly declare that the only thing that will enable the poor to emerge from poverty is a decent job. And the primary creators of decent jobs are business people who believe deeply in the free enterprise system. Now more than ever, businesses should be at the forefront of addressing social and environmental issues because it has the resources, the technology, and the discipline to make a significant impact. All it needs is the heart and will to do so. And church, when I read that, I got excited because I look at our crowd here and I, you guys are wealth creators. You're businessmen and women. You know how to start a business. You know how to run a business. You know how to create jobs for people. You know how to bring prosperity to people's lives, economic prosperity. And it got me thinking like, oh my gosh, what if? What if God used the army of LifePoint Church 
And we started our using the skills, the God-given skills that God has given us to work, to create businesses. And we brought shalom into the places that no one else wants to go, into the places that no one else wants, would expect God to show up in. Do you guys see the possibilities? See, God's heart for holistic healing, for spiritual, for relational, for economic, for physical healing. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he's calling you. He says, partner with me. Come join me as we make disciples, as we advance the kingdom of God, as we bring shalom to this land. You guys smelling the wonder? You starting to see the wonder, the marvel of Christmas? Lastly, we see the surprise of Christmas, we see the light of Christmas, we see the person of Christmas. But lastly, we see the promise of Christmas. The promise of Christmas. If you look in verse seven, God gives a promise that he will keep. And he says, verse seven, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. The promise of Christmas is that a baby didn't just get born and was in a manger, but the promise of Christmas is that baby is going to grow up and return and rule from earth and establish his kingdom forever. That what we see in Revelation 21 and 22 is not God removing us from the earth, but rather heaven coming down to earth where Christ rules and reigns, where his saints worship his name and where everything is as it should be. And Christmas is always difficult because every year we're always reminded of the things that are kind of off, that are kind of wrong. You know, and maybe this Christmas was the hardest Christmas for you because it was the first Christmas without a loved one or it was the first Christmas you spent as a single person or it was the first Christmas where your kids weren't with you. And see, Christmas always brings up these memories, right? It always brings up these memories of when things were right, when things were good, when our families were together, when loved ones were together, when we got the perfect gifts and the perfect presents and everything just seemed right. But the hard part of getting older is we realize that those are just memories, that those things are gone, that they've faded, and that everything just seems a shell of what it once was. See, we're longing. We're longing for something greater. We're longing for something more. But the good news of Christmas is the promise of Christmas, is that Jesus says, I will make all sad things untrue. I will turn your nightmares into beautiful dreams. I will turn this hell that you're experiencing into a paradise. I will create a place where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more disease, no more death, where everything is as it should be. Peace on earth where Jesus rules and reigns and his government only increases and never ends. You guys see the wonder? You see the wonder of Christmas? Do you feel it stirring in your heart because it should, because this is beautiful? 
And the only reason Jesus hasn't established that yet, that physical reign, is because he had to take care of the spiritual first. See, if he was just born and he rose as a political ruler and established justice and righteousness, then guess what, guys? None of us would be here. We would all, as the Bible say, be dead in our sins. And so Jesus heard our cry. He saw our, our plight. And he says, I'm gonna take care of the spiritual first. I'm gonna live the life we should have lived. I'm gonna die the deaths that we should have died. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many so that we could be called the children of God, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made whole, so we'd be given the, the eternal life, the Zoe life, the abundant life where we can be with God and his people forever. And the wonder of Christmas is that a savior has come and he's offering out this gift to you. He's offering out this gift of you. He's like, do you want this? Do you want the spiritual shalom? Do you want the spiritual peace? You simply, all you have to do is fall on your knees and surrender. And you will see God work and save you and redeem you and to make things whole. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna be easy. It's hard. But as you walk with him, you'll experience the wonder. Will you take it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you, God, for Christmas. And God, I pray in these next few minutes that you could slow our hearts down, slow our minds, and that God, just for these next few minutes, that we could just genuinely, Lord, worship you, that we would fall on our knees and marvel at the true meaning and significance of Christmas. God, we marvel that you are a God who shows up in the unexpected places. That your heart, God, is not for the riches, but it's for the rags. It's not for the elites, God, it's for the outcasts. It's for the poor, God, and that you show up in the unexpected places. We marvel at that, Lord. God, we marvel that you've brought light, that we are in darkness and you pulled us out of darkness to see the light, to see how life really should be, how it could be, when we are with you. God, we marvel at your son who came into this world, born as a baby, born into a manger, born into poverty, God, to give us counsel, to fight our battles, to meet our needs, Lord, and to bring shalom, holistic peace. And God, we marvel at the promise that one day you will return and God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in here today, Lord, who is done fighting their battles for themselves and is ready for you to be their, your hero, to be their hero, to be their champion, to be their warrior, that they would simply fall on their knees. And as Paul says, believe in their hearts and confess with their mouth that you are Lord, that you are the Christ, that you are the King. And if you want to do that today, if you want to make Jesus your Savior, could you just simply write a big A on the connection card? And we would love to connect with you and talk with you about what it means to receive the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ.
Lord Jesus, I pray as we sing this last Christmas song for this season, O Holy Night, that your spirit would stir in our hearts, that we would fall on our knees and worship the wonder that you have done for Christmas. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.